0: Chapter 20 and verse 7. Now, upon the first day of the week. Now, you go back to when that phrase was first given to us. We'll come back to that, but an important phrase. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. So now this is a new tradition that these apostles of Christ are keeping. Paul preached unto them, ready to be departed on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. Anybody up for that? No, I didn't think so. Me neither. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. If my wife were here, I would tell the story. I'm telling it anyway, aren't I? About how that at her brother's wedding, they had so many candles in this low ceiling. The people in the in the wedding party were fainting from all the candles. I don't know if that's what's going on here, but the oxygen has been taken out of the room, and there sat in the window. A certain young man named Eutychus. So a windowsill like this, but the window is open. Being fallen into a deep sleep. You know those first few minutes when you fall asleep? And nobody can wake you? You know. Now later on, a couple of hours later, people can wake you. But just that first deep sleep, this is, this is what he's in. And Paul was long preaching, and he sunk down with sleep, like some of you do on Sunday mornings. No, I'm just... And <laughs> And he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Not like dead. He was dead. That's the word for it. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves, his life is in him. He literally is raised from the dead. And he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till daybreak. So he's preached till midnight and then they talk until breakfast. And then he leaves. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little, or you would say greatly comforted. They were not just a little comforted. This was a pretty exciting, special occasion. You can imagine how you might feel at the same. The New Living Translation puts it. And Paul spoke on and on. You might even add, on. And on, if you were the boy of that window, right? This young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he sank into a deep sleep and fell three stories below to his death. That's Eutychus. Now, I'm sure that at some time or another, most every young person has thought to themselves, church is boring. Yeah, you could say it. Yeah, Sure. And you felt that same way, I'm I'm sure. Many hardworking people have considered Sunday to be their their one day off that they still have available to them. They just spent all day Saturday raking leaves, right? I mean, I picked up my leaves on, I thought I'd be smart about it. I'm going to pick them up before the rain comes. So I did it on, I guess that would be Friday, or was it Thursday? And then what happened Friday? It's like I never did it, right? So we spend all day Saturday, you know, whether it's raking leaves or fixing up around the house or you're getting ready to move, all the things that you know for yard sales and all that stuff that you do around the house. Every parent who has ever tried to make it to church knows how hard it is to make it a happen to get the kids up then on Saturday, or early on Sunday morning to get ready for church. Most modern families like to think churches or a Sunday is like a family day. Now I can't argue with that, and you know family's important, it's one day you have and You know, blah, blah, blah. So I get that. Okay. Who can argue with that? In fact, most who are listening here in the auditorium or will be listening by way of radio can confidently say, you can confidently say, at least I did more than most people, more than my neighbors. I mean, they were still at home when I left. And in today's COVID environment, church habits have changed. And what we used to wonder about silently, we've probably said to ourselves and to others, I mean, how many claim now to worship God without ever stepping foot into a church? And we shrug, and we say, well, you know, with everything that's going on, you know. And we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, what's the big deal? And we rationalize. Aren't we reaching more people today online than we were reaching in our little church? I was with a pastor this last week in his little church, and he said, yeah, I get notes from Korea. And from, he was giving me all these places and parts of the world that he'll never go, but his messages are reaching there, and so we rationalize, you know. And others now openly wonder, why does the preacher make such a big deal about church on Sunday? Preacher, come on. You're getting paid. What's it matter, right? And I read the story of Eutychus, who himself is raised from the dead. And the first thing it reminds me of, and you'll see where I'm going with it, the first thing it reminds me of, is that Sunday is the day of resurrection. Sunday is the day of resurrection. And considering the importance of Sunday, consider that phrase there in verse 7, where it says, upon the first day of the week. Where did you first hear that phrase? Anybody remember? Where did you first, when they raced to the tomb on the first day of the week, but they found the Lord was not there because He had risen as He said. There's an importance to that phrase in this day, Sunday. Sunday is not just another day of the week end, but is the first day of the week. The first of our ordinances to gather together, the first fundamental observance of the church, that we would come together on the first day of the week. Paul uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I won't take you to it, but you can. 1 Corinthians 16, and he uses that phrase there. And then he adds a lot of things that we ought to observe in the church as part of the fellowship. The first thing I'll give you is the gathering, is the gathering of first. On the first day of the week, this day commemorating our Lord's resurrection, our first priority is to give first attention to the Lord, to His work, and even from our resource. This principle of first fruits, followed throughout the Old Testament, here now in the New Testament, repeated throughout Scripture, that we would honor God with the first of our increase. This principle of giving God on the first day from the first of our increase must be considered the first of our priorities and should not be the last thing on our mind, but every man, not giving grudgingly or of necessity, but every man giving as he is able, as the Lord has prospered him, giving unto the Lord first with a cheerful heart, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Then as we come together with our gifts on this first day of resurrection, it's also a time of gathering for fellowship Paul told the Philippian church that he was thankful for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day, even until now, Philippians 1. We must not, I read it earlier, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord's return approaching. Yes, you can worship God in many ways, right? Take a walk out in nature, for me, I'd go to the beach, that's I'd go worship God in the sunrise, at the ocean. And yes, you can worship God in many ways. And yes, you can worship God in other places. And yes, the church is not limited to a building. But I would suggest to you that in fact, because the church is the people, that we should prioritize the gathering of God's people for sake of worship and fellowship. It's given to us in Scripture that we would not forsake And when he says, by the way, when he says, don't forsake the assembling, you think of it as a verb, like coming together. It's actually a noun. That's us. That's the people. Don't forsake the people, God's people. Anything else you do to worship, sitting on the beach in the sunrise, going for a walk in nature, or whatever else you might do to sort of relax and get away and just say there is a God in heaven and I I worship him today. Whatever else you do should be considered a supplement not a substitute for the gathering of God's people for fellowship on today, the first day of the week. Church is not just for old people, by the way. It's also a gathering of family, right? Not just old people, but a gathering of family. For all that went wrong, Eutychus was brought by his mom and dad, right? So it's family. It's all about family. I know it's tough sometimes, and hopefully your kids won't fall, you know, dead asleep and and fall out of the pews or out of a window or, you know, something like that. In fact, it used to be that interested parents, now you're going to have to go back in history for this, but interested parents in our nation used to bring kids, bored kids, to church. And then in our era, when I was a youth pastor, we thought, you know, it's a shame that these kids are bored to death. We ought to give them something to do. So we started giving things for kids to do and so kids would start coming to church and they would bring bored parents right and now our families are so distracted we're so engaged with everything else and the you know we're just we're on edge in in the world today and people are so busy that we come to church and all of us seem to be bored because we've got so many other things that are on our mind I'm all for programs to focus on the individual needs, and we've got some things here that are going on, but we need a church that engages the whole family. Family excuses for not attending to the voice of God are as old as time itself. Do you remember what Adam's excuse was when God came looking for him and Adam wasn't paying attention to the voice of God? Do you remember what Adam's excuse was, Genesis chapter 3? He looked at God and said, this woman you gave me, Really? This woman you gave me, she caused me to sin. And some dear wife, whose husband is unsaved, might say, this husband of mine, not a believer, Lord, it's hard for me to get to church. I understand. And sometimes our children become our excuse, right? I mean, they don't play ball all the time, but I guarantee if you go by the ball fields almost any given Sunday morning, it's pretty full. But some of us are going to rationalize, well, they don't have ball games every Sunday morning, so we just do it in the spring. And then it becomes a habit. And then the summer goes by, and then it's hard to get back. I'm all for programs. I'm all for families. I'm all for things. Families today are so on edge. But they are the backbone of any society, and the church has always been, and it still is, the stabilizing influence in the family. You can engage in many, many, many other things. It'll be fun and happy and all kinds of things, but the stabilizing influence in the family is still the church. So then, as we gather as a family on the first day of the week, we recognize it's a day of resurrection it's a day of sort of restoring our families to, you know, back to center, if you will. But we also recognize this Sunday as a day of remembrance. Again, there in verse 7. It says they came together for the purpose of breaking bread, and it mentions it again later on. After the accident of Eutychus, down in verse 11, they celebrate the breaking of bread. In fact, if you go back and see the three things, this first day of breaking of bread, it was something that was talked about practiced by Christ when He was on earth. And then we find it here in the Acts of the Apostles. And finally, you'll see it talked about, communion, baptism. You'll see it talked about, taught in the epistles. So if you ever ask yourself, how can we do these things and not other things? It's those three factors that kind of give to us the idea that these are are important, significant Ordinances, things we ought to observe. First day of the week. The Lord's table. We do it, right? The first Sunday of each month. Baptism. The consideration of following the Lord and believers. Baptism. These are, these are things that are practiced. Paul wrote of communion in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup, the blood of Christ, the bread is the body of Christ, and we being many are one. It's a time of unity. So we remember on each first Sunday, as our tradition goes, the Lord's table, and it is the communion of the Son, S-O-N. For as often as you eat this bread, 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, remember, commemorate the Lord's death until He comes. And then we like to repeat from the end of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. The Lord's table is a recognition that without the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God, we would have no chance of communion with the Father. And I read that in first or in Hebrews chapter 10 that talks about the gathering of the saints. We also gather in remembrance of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. Jesus describes the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He said, I'm going to send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, that proceedeth from the Father, and he will testify of Jesus. There are times when People will hear the word of God and it means nothing to them. You might think to yourself, it seems so clear, how come they can't understand? Because without the Holy Spirit, they're just words on a page. But when you hear the same words and you hear the same message, it begins to jump off the page to you because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, by the way, verse 1, uh, let me go back, I didn't read it. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And when the Pentecost, remember this day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that came and went kind of in scriptures before this, now at Pentecost comes and dwells upon those who believe. Verse 1 there in Acts 2, verse 1, it can literally read on the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. But Pentecost, Pente is 50 after the Passover. So you have the Passover, one day, and then you've got seven weeks, 49 days, 50 Days that's Pentecost, you knew that already, right? Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in a great rushing wind to dwell in believers. The gift of the Holy Spirit was first given there, is thereby remembered as well on this first day of the week. That's when Pentecost was. Therefore, every Sunday as we gather is not only a remembrance of the Son, it's also a remembrance of of the Holy Spirit, Whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption, and Sunday is a day of remembering the saints, one another. It's used twice here in our passage. It's the word together. When you see the word together, you also read a word or words one another. You'll see that over and over in Scripture. Remember what I read in Hebrews chapter 10 not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus commanded we would love one another, a commitment that shows to the world we are his disciples. John taught, I mentioned it briefly Wednesday night in passing, but John taught that our commitment to one another is a confirmation of our own salvation. If you have no commitment, no care, no compassion for one another, listen to what John said, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. If you don't love spending time together with other believers, he doesn't doubt your salvation. He doesn't say you're headed for trouble. He doesn't say there's a problem. What he says is you're no follower of Christ. If you don't love spending time with God's people, you're no follower of Christ. That sounds pretty strong. It's very specific, and someone will likely take exception to it, but it is the Word of God. I'm just leaving it there. And the longer you spend away from the gathering, the more struggles you will have in your walk with the Lord. But how often do I hear just the opposite said? Well, preacher, you know, I'm going through a lot right now. I just don't have time for church. Preacher, you know, with my circumstances at home, I just, it's difficult for me to get out right now. So I, I hope you understand. Well, preacher, and, and the excuses go on and on and on for why you're not with God's people. You let those excuses pile up, and it begins to wonder, are you a child of God? Because you can't stay away for long and still be happy. In fact, John goes on to say that if you have no love for your brothers and sisters at church, your faith that you claim is living a lie. 1 John 4. Now, I understand the struggle, and other people sometimes represent in our life, you know, Sometimes we struggle with other people, right? And I was saying to Mark this morning, I said, but don't be like, don't be like the dog owner. Uh, my, my son's one of those. He says, well, you know, my, my dog's fine. But it's the other dogs that cause the problem, right? <laughs> you ever feel like that? Like your dog's perfectly fine at home, quiet, calm. But gets around other dogs and he gets all rowdy. It's those other dogs' fault. And that's sometimes how we think about it. Church, to dwell above with saints we love, won't that be grace and glory? To dwell below with saints we know? (laughs) Well, that's another story. Every child of God must be committed to the Lord's day, even if you don't think you need it, in order to remember and not neglect our commitment to the saints that we are called to live with right here and now and minister to. Well, this principle of love for one another is brothers and sisters, and Christ also makes Sunday a day for refreshing. Sunday is the resurrection day. It's a day of remembrance. We used to call it a day of rest, but society has long since lost that, right? And if I said blue laws, most of you wouldn't even know what that was about. But as we gather together on Sunday, the first priority must always be conviction from the Word of God. That's got to be the priority. If You go into a church, you go into a gathering, and a lot of things are done. And that's, that's true. I'm not, I'm not knocking everything that's done. But if the Word of God is not prominent in the church, it's not the church. Conviction from the Word of God has to be the thing that's the priority. Verse 7, back to verse 7 again. Paul preached and he continued until midnight. That's a lot of preaching. That's a lot of scripture. Now don't expect me, and you're glad, don't expect me to preach that long, but neither should you expect to have church without significant time spent in the word of God. Romans chapter 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? And shall, how shall they hear, In how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear except they have a what? A preacher has got to be the declaration of God's Word. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, 1 Corinthians 1. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Hebrews, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and able to divide asunder the workings of our heart. All scriptures, uh, 2 Timothy 2, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We can have church without a lot of your favorite things. We can have church without a lot of your favorite things, but we cannot have church without preaching from the word of God. Music and media can help create interest and excitement. But only the Word of God can refresh your spirit and sustain your soul. Refreshing also comes by way of our witness. After Eutychus fell to his death, the congregation witnessed this young boy being brought to life again. That's pretty exciting. Don't you know they had some stories to tell? And there in verse 12 it says they were not just a little comforted. they They were pretty excited about this, of what's going on. Every time someone accepts Christ, that's the resurrection to life. Once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was dead, now I'm alive. Every time someone comes to faith in Christ, that's the witness of the resurrection, and it should comfort us, not a little. It should excite us. John said that sharing the things we see and hear is the basis of our fellowship, and he wrote that, that your joy may be full salvations, baptisms, testimonies, the thing we're going to do in a, uh, in, on the 21st in our fellowship time and our testimonies and songs and things, that, scriptures that we share together, in prayer time, these are the things that bring us together. Church provides a place of mutual accountability. Church provides an outlet for you to encourage others by the things you have learned and heard and seen. Church provides a means whereby we can comfort ourselves together. And this kind of refreshing doesn't come from the pulpit, by the way, it comes mostly from the pew. In the, If we had a choir or the bell choir, those are the times, uh, you, know, I was, you know I was a part of the bell choir last time, not all the time, but last time I was, and we had some fun conversations. And uh, Joey and I, you know, some fun conversations about hanging a light, uh, some fun conversations as you're working under the sink in the bathroom. Some fun conversations in the kitchen when we're getting meals together, right? Those are the kinds of conversations that encourage us. And I just call them the willing workers. Conversations with those who are willing to get out and tell people about Jesus. Those who are willing to serve in some way in our church. Conversation with those who are willing to listen. Listen. But this conversation is not just what we say. Conversation, when you read that in Scripture, it's not limited to Sunday mornings. In fact, it's not even limited to one day. It's a way for us as believers. It's a way of life. Maybe you come early and join a Bible study. Maybe you don't rush out after the last amen and preaching is over, but you talk with others. And by the way, I say this all the time. When someone says, Preacher, would you pray for me? I say, well, you know what? Let's pray now. Because I may forget. You might forget. I mean, just think about it. Are you really going to pray more Monday morning when you're at work and trying to get your head back in gear? Or do you have time right now, right now, before you ever leave, and just pray with one another, the needs that people have, the concerns that people have, the problems that people are going through, and we pray with one another. Maybe come back on midweek for prayer meeting. Maybe sign up for special work and times of fellowship. Most encouraging conversations occur after the preaching is over in the more informal settings. Paul preached, and I go back to our passage Verse 7 again, Paul preached until midnight, but notice what happens well after the message is over. Eutychus is brought to life, and all the curious passerbys, by the time you get down to verse 11, and everybody has gone home, that is all the people in the streets. The phrase, it says that Paul talked for a long time. Paul talked for a long... That's the kind of conversations he's having. If you have a modern translation, by the way, verse 7 and verse 11, it sounds very familiar. King Jimmy makes it sound a little, you know, odd too. You think, well, is it preaching again? No, these are different words. The word in verse 7 is the kind of preaching you're used to. When the the guy gets up, it's, it's a word of authority. The guy gets up with authority whether it's teaching in a Sunday school class or preaching from the pulpit, and he's answering questions, he's interacting with the Word of God, and he's speaking with authority from God's Word. That's the word in verse 7, but when you get down in verse 11, it's a different Greek word. Verse 11 is the kind of conversation that you have with people as you have the interaction, the back and forth. Verse 11 is the word for sharing together as those with equal authority. At this point, Paul and the congregation are sharing from their common experiences. That's the conversation that went well past midnight into the wee hours of the morning evidently until about breakfast time. It's the shared common experiences that went on. Men who served together on the board. We have some things in common and we have conversations. Volunteers who work together on some project. I've, I've never seen something done around the church but what there's all kinds of conversation that's going on around it. Mothers who share their struggles with you know, the older ladies who've been through it, parents who find a little help from other people who've been through it as well. As iron sharpens iron, right? Proverbs 27. I've often said that you'll not really know what the church is all about if you ever only come on Sunday morning at 10.30. If you only ever come to church at 10.30 on Sunday morning, you never help in any other way. You're never involved in any other projects. You're never engaged in any other thoughts about the church. You'll never really know what it's about. It may sound counterintuitive, and I know it's certainly countercultural to the day and age in which we live, but maybe you need to attend church More, not less. And I don't necessarily mean in here, but in projects that you're working on, in conversations that you're having, in prayer that you're having and engaged with other people. If you only ever spend one hour on Sunday morning from 10.30 to 11.30, you'll never know this kind of fellowship. Those who are bored with church like Eutychus come only on special occasions. They're sure to be here when we have special speakers. And then as the guilt piles up in life, you know, you know, honey, we haven't been in church for a long time. We need to get out to church. And so you got to get out to church and kind of ease your conscience. And I'm glad you're, you know, I'm glad you get there. But make church a habit of your life before you and your family are literally bored to death. But I admit. And I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deek, whatever that is, and none is proud and all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize, where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind, such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. My dear friend, are you bored with church? I'll do my best to work and plan to make it the best we possibly can. But in the end, your attitude toward church says more about your relationship with the Lord than it does with the programs we're running here at church. Just think about it.